Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. We built this city. We built this city on rock and we built this city. We built this city on rock and roll. Wow. <laughs> wow. I don't know if it was better the first or the second time. Uh, they only know there was one time, actually. They didn't hear the, the first time. The 80s is strong with us. The, you know, this one is going to erase any idea. Uh, that they might have had from the first one. This is amazing. If quarantine uh, lasts too much longer, then my hair will look like 80s hair. Yeah. I just got it cut, but I've been getting it cut like once every 10 weeks or so. So maybe I'll just leave it next time and I'll just look like an 80s band. <laughs> That'll be perfect. How's it, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Command Zone Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Lee Kwai. And I'm Jake Boss. I'm an editor here at the Command Zone and on Game Nights. That is not Jimmy Wong. No, uh, I'm Puppet Wong, but... You were Puppet <laughs> Wong. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so Jake is, yeah, one of the editors here on Game Nights, and Jimmy is not with us. But Jake came up with this idea for a podcast episode, so we thought it would be fitting that he was here to talk about it. Jake, do you want us to lead us to lead us in uh, about what the topic is? Sure. So um, a lot of getting better at something is really about doing it yourself. Uh, so you can research and theorize as much as you want, but there's no substitute for direct experience. Uh, and the quote is, it is a wise person indeed who can learn from another's mistakes. So you've probably heard us say that quote on the show many times over the years. And people hear that quote, it is a wise person indeed who can learn from another's mistakes and think, oh, I need to learn from other people's mistakes, which is true. But that quote also means... Most of the time, you have to learn from your own mistakes because you're not a wise person all the time. <laughs> exactly. It, like a lot of times when you're learning something uh, or you're teaching someone else, like you wish that you could just tell them, you know, hey, if you had this experience, this one thing where I learned this lesson, uh, then you won't have these struggles that I did. Right. Uh, you'll have the perspective that you need to, you know, get over that hurdle or whatever. Yeah, that stuff really matters. So uh, this episode is all about decks everyone should build at least once uh, because you'll get lessons from each of these decks about either piloting or building or ideally both. Yep. Uh, first, before we get into the decks that you have to build at least once in your life, we uh, need to give shout outs to our sponsors. Cardkingdom.com slash command zone. That's our affiliate link. 
if you want to build any of these decks that we're about to talk about, well, you're going to need cards to do it. And the best place to order your magic products, singles, anything at all is cardkingdom.com slash command zone. They're going to get you your stuff the fastest. It's going to be in the best condition. And really, they do have the best customer service. Um, Card Kingdom is just the best. I order you know, 90% of all the cards that I get from them. Uh, they're great. Also, once you get your hands on those cards... You're going to want to keep them in really good condition. You don't want them to get scuffed up, to get messed up. And Ultra Pro products are the best way to protect all of your game pieces. You want to play your cards onto an Ultra Pro playmat. Don't do what we used to do when we were kids, which is play them onto the sidewalk and get all <laughs> messed up. You want to put them into a nice Pro Gloss Eclipse sleeve, or any Ultra Pro sleeve will protect your card really, really well. I just like the Pro Gloss because they're the newest and they make your cards look... Have you tried these out yet? I've seen them on game nights on mm-hmm. these shoots and like the way that they show up on camera is amazing. Especially compared to the old matte finish. Yeah. By the way, those are still durable and protect your cards really well, but if you want the vibrancy of the colors and the foils and everything to pop out, the Pro Gloss sleeves, the new ones, are the way to go from Ultra Pro. They also have heavy metal dice. They have relic tokens. They have really awesome satin tower deck boxes. Dude, the satin towers. I'm a satin tower aficionado. You have a ton of them. This weekend, I'm going to actually be putting up my shelf in front of my spell table rig of all of my satin towers so I can pull them off. Uh, you know, One by one? Yeah. You know, because it's, it's much better than having them in a box as these beautiful satin towers all lined up. They have lots of beautiful colors for the satin towers now, and they are just super sturdy as well. Like, your deck is very safe in in an Ultra Pro satin tower. Uh, And the final way to support all of our content is directly if you go to patreon.com slash command zone. You get all kinds of perks, one of which is to watch extra turns and game nights before the general public. We have a special feed that only patrons have access to. Uh, It's also ad-free, so you get to watch extra turns and game nights uh, without the ads, which may actually not be a bonus these days, because I think our ads are pretty funny. Yeah, we're having a lot of fun with them. Yeah, we are. Um, And also, we shout out one lucky patron every single episode. And this episode is dedicated to Dakota Collins. Dakota, you rock. All right, let's get into the main topic here. Decks everyone should build at least once. So like you said, Jake, yeah, you you can and should learn stuff anytime you're building or playing a deck. But a lot of lessons are sort of easier to learn if they're more obvious, mm-hmm. right? So we've chosen some decks here uh, that we're about to talk about that sort of push you hard in a direction, maybe push you outside your comfort zone, and they can open your eyes to things you hadn't sort of been aware of or considered before. And deviation is definitely encouraged. Put your own artistic spin onto it. That's a lot of what this is about. Uh, but the first one is huge because it was a breakthrough for me. Uh, You don't need a perfect mana base to play all the colors. So five color decks are totally on the table. Uh, If you don't have fetches and shocks, you're still fine. You can play five color. Right. So a five color deck is a deck everyone should build at least once. I like what you said there. The lesson learned from this deck is you don't need a perfect mana base. And I think that lesson can be drawn to many things. You don't need a perfect quote unquote version of any strategy to still be effective with it. We get this in our heads that like, well, I don't have old school dual lands and fetches. I just shouldn't build that five color deck because it's not going to be perfectly optimized. I doubt I have a single deck that's actually perfectly optimized. Maybe my, my one CDH deck. Right. You know, but all my other decks have some form of like, oh, I like this card or like, you know, I'm not sure between these three cards. Did I pick the right one? Maybe not. Um, so, Full optimization is never, especially in Commander, something you absolutely need. But we have this in our head that, like, for mana bases, they got to be perfect. Yeah, there's a lot of details, too, that uh, you leave by the wayside if you just think of it as I'm trying to get five colors as a whole. You're not really thinking about how is it that I get to having all those five colors anyway. 
Right. Uh, so the deck that we suggest that you build is Golos Tireless Pilgrim. Uh, he's a five cost legendary artifact creature. Uh, he's a scout. And when Golos enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a land card, put that card onto the battlefield tapped and then shuffle your library. And he's got a crazy activated ability. Um, but the activated ability is two and Wooberg. So seven mana. And then you exile the top three cards of your library and you may play uh, those cards without paying their mana cost. Um, totally crazy. Yeah. That's not the important part about why we would suggest Golos. I think the first part is because it helps you, right? Golos is ramp, gets an extra land into play, and fixing, because that land can be any land in your deck. Right. Uh, all in one card. And Golos uh, itself is colorless, so you don't even have to worry about what colors you've gotten out onto the board up to the point where you play Golos, and then Golos will fix you for the colors you're missing. Kind of the perfect um, storm for... Uh, every time I say storm, I'm like, no, not a storm deck. Yeah. <laughs> But it's a it's the, it's the perfect thing for a person that wants to build a five color deck for the first time, right? Like it's really going to make the color part of that equation pretty easy on you. Yeah, if you're nervous about like I'm not going to hit my land drops or anything, definitely build Golos because not only is he ramp, but uh, the spells that you're playing are much easier to get to. And we've had friends come over that um, they've got stacks and stacks of basics, and it's just blowing my mind. Like you're not supposed to have you know named dual lands and all this stuff. You can make it work. It was crazy. So you can make Golos decks works with 100% basics. Now you don't have to do that. We've had a lot of budget lands with like the have lands from Battle for Zendikar um, come out in recent years. And yeah. whatever the last couple of sets are, there's always some form of, you know, dual land in there. Uh, and, and those will be fine, I think, for like a, a quote-unquote not perfect, not optimized mana base. Um, and you made a good note here, which is that Golos works really well with, with ramp spells, and most of your ramp spells are green. Yeah. So that's one of the tricks to building a five-color deck is just sort of lean a little bit heavier into green, and then as long as you hit green or have green in your opening hand, then if you get a one Farseek or one Ramp and Growth or one Cultivate, that's going to fix the rest of your colors basically with Golos also, right? Because that's two other colors. Then Golos is a fourth other color. I mean, unless you're really unlucky, that's going to get you all five pretty fast. <laughs> and those BFZ lands and the Triumphs, like there are a lot of options for cards like Farseek uh, that don't need to go grab a $10, $20 land. Like you can probably go through your box at home and come up with a pretty decent mana base. Yep. Um, all right. So five color deck learning that you don't need the perf perfect mana base or that you don't need the perfect version of anything. That's a really good lesson to learn. Let's go on to the second deck here that everyone should build at least once. This one is mono white. Yes. Uh, Josh, I, I definitely think you should read this lesson here. Yeah, so mono white, much beleaguered, and you know we point out constantly that white is the most underpowered color in Commander, which I think is true. But there's a good lesson to be learned from building a mono white deck, and that is limitations breed creativity. So, you know, by adapting your strategy to fit within white's abilities or lack thereof, uh, you can learn a lot. Yeah. So don't avoid playing colors with a limited set of tools adapting your strategy to fit within that um it can teach you so much like uh if you aren't going to have all those things that other colors have access to and you can't just depend on the great pieces like smothering tithe or something to come in uh what well, you can, can you do with less yeah right. <laughs> so what can you do with less and uh so the commander that we say that you should build is tashar ancestors apostle 
So three to white. Yeah, I like this choice. Go ahead, read it. Yeah, three to white. It's a two-two flying uh, bird cleric. Uh, when you cast a historic spell, return target creature card with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. To the battlefield. This is a so, very powerful ability. I drop a cheap artifact like an ornithopter or a mox amber. I get something uh, creature converted mana cost three or less back to the battlefield. That's so this crazy. Is, yeah, this is kind of embracing you know sort of ignoring what white's bad at and embracing what it's good at right so it's good at building these or, or it's good at bringing these low cmc things from the graveyard back onto the battlefield that's a that's a theme that they've brought out more and more from white in recent years they've kind of i think sort of honed in on that as like oh here's something white does that nobody else does and that's low cmc stuff onto the battlefield and so saying that's going to be your form of card advantage you know, because white doesn't have good card draw. Of course, we talk about it all the time. White doesn't have good ramp. Um, this is embracing what it does do good rather than complaining about what it doesn't. Yeah, I think uh, that's kind of a life lesson too, is uh, if you know what the limitations of something are, let's say, okay, let's work with that instead of wishing that I had green or something and not building the deck just because it's mono white. That's a wasted opportunity. Yeah, and Teshar decks, I've played against a couple. They can be really, really good and yeah. pretty resilient because they're really good at bringing back the stuff that you got rid of. So a lot of times you're like, okay, I got it under control and they go boom, 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 boom. Everything's back and you're like, oh, crap. And it, it might just be the same 10 cards that you're seeing the whole game. But, but you these just people, can't get rid of them. Yeah. They pop off like crazy. Yeah. Um, you you wrote down here that playing this deck is a different sort of resource management and that sequencing is really important. Yeah. Like I said just now, if uh, you're working with the same 10 cards, like how can I reuse those? Or how can I make that card feel like two cards? Right. Um, and, you know, this deck is all about like uh, enter the battlefield effects, sacrifice effects, uh, things that you want, it to, want creatures to do when they get recurred. Um, and then on top of that, like the mana base is built on these cheap artifacts. So you're doing a couple things at once. Um, so yeah, playing it is a different type of resource management. Like, uh, do I do this now? Or do I do this later? Questions like that is yeah. Sequencing is important because when you do something, you might get something back, which means, Oh, do I want to sack it first? Do I want to play this other thing first? Yeah. It's pretty talent. interesting. Yeah. So it's not just about building the deck, which I think is important too. It's also about playing these decks right. and, and what you learn by piloting them. Um, all right, on to the next one. Yeah, um, so th- number three is control. Uh, so questions are different than answers. And we say that you should build Brea Ethereum Shaper. Uh, so for white, blue, black, and red, uh, she's a legendary artifact creature, human, when Brea Ethereum Shaper enters the battlefield, create two one one blue thopter creatures uh, with flying. Then her activated ability is two and sacrifice two artifacts. Choose one. Brea deals three damage to target uh, player or planeswalker. Uh, she deals or target creature gets minus four or minus four until end of turn, or you gain five life. Right. So you get to choose either kill something if it's a four toughness or less. Deal three damage to uh, a creature or planeswalker, or sorry, opponent or planeswalker player or planeswalker you can deal damage to yourself or gain five life um so brea is a control piece in that she can just remove problematic things like planeswalkers and creatures um we ran through the lesson there real quick i just want to restate it the lesson you learn from building a control deck or the lesson we want you to learn here is that questions are different than answers which is a pretty interesting statement i think a lot of people think control decks are all about counterspells. They're just counterspell.decks, which is yeah. not necessarily what a control deck is. You can build control decks that aren't even in blue. Control decks are really about answering problems, right? It's about having answers. So I think when you start out in Magic, 
control is not the first thing most people start out with. They're usually, you know, red decks, attacky decks, text decks that are playing threats. You know, most new players are are very excited about dragons and things like that. They're Big, like splashy spells. Yeah, what am I going to do, do to other players? I'm going to hit them for a bunch of damage and get this huge effect. They're not usually thinking like, how am I going to stop the other players, which right. is what control decks really are. Um, so I, Brea can be built in a lot of different ways. In this case, we're, we're recommending that you build her um, to kind of, or you build this deck with the idea that your main strategy is to stop your, what your opponents, uh, what their plans are. So I think the best lesson from a control deck standpoint, you can learn things from building it, obviously from brewing it, but I think the best lessons you learn are actually from playing a control deck. So even if you're not control-minded, I don't like control decks, and a lot of players are like that, I think it's still worth it to sort of have one in your repertoire that you build and at least have played a few times because you learn a lot by playing a control deck. Yeah, it's all about not just um, when can I answer something, but when should I answer something? Should I even answer When should that? I hold up these answers? Because, you know, a new control player might counter somebody's Cultivate. Right. And that's not necessarily the spell that you want to stop them on. You want to stop them on the big nasty thing that's going to uh, force them to win the game, you know? And control is really complicated in Commander because in 1v1, control decks are way more, I'm going to try and answer every single thing they do. In Commander, there's one of you, there's three opponents. Generally, you are not going to be in a position where you can stop everything every all three opponents are trying to do. So it really forces you to learn good threat assessment because your goal is to stop strategies from going off, but you can't stop everything. So you actually have to know mm-hmm. what are the important things and what aren't. And that's one of the keys. And I think one of the reasons control decks are tough to play is just that... I mean, I know all the time at the end of a game when I'm playing a more controlly type deck, if I didn't win... I will think back and be like, yeah, my mistake was getting rid of that because that wasn't right. actually that bad. Like when they were and the not dis- having something ready for the thing that actually killed me. When they were destroying the Death Star, yeah. they didn't attack the service. They didn't attack the guns. They went for the one piece right. that was going to make everything blow up and stop their opponents from winning. Yeah, uh, and it's really important to know what where the exhaust port is. Otherwise, yeah. you're going to just waste your missiles on the outside of the Death Star and it won't actually do any real damage. Um, so I think playing this deck will teach you a lot about threat assessment, about learning what to get rid of, when to get rid of it, when it's like, okay, to be like, Yep, that resolves, or yep, that's going to stick around. You know, a lot of times, we've talked about this on the show so often, in Commander is a weird format where, like, you can play something scary, Jake, Mm -hmm. but it can actually be a good thing for me that you have a scary thing, because as long as it's not doing anything to me, it could be on my side. Like, if Jimmy's the biggest threat or somebody that you're obviously going to go after, then whatever that big scary thing is, is actually on Team Josh for now. Right. Anything that's anti your opponents, you're in favor of. Right. So Control X really sort of bring that into perspective, I think, and and playing them can help you out. So if you shy away from Control decks just because you don't like that style of play, I would encourage you to consider building a deck and playing it a few times because one other thing this can help you do is later on when you're playing your normal deck but somebody else at the table is playing a Control deck, it allows you to better sort of sit in their seat, see from their perspective and be like, okay, well, if I was playing the Control deck here... right then what would be the thing that would really mess me up? You know, a lot of times it's like, okay, I'm not going to play my one big threat because they got two man open. I'm going to play a, a, a medium threat. And if they counter that, I'll still be able to do something else. And that's really tough for our control deck to deal with because they're like, okay, well, I don't really want that thing to happen. But if I stop it, they're still going to have mana open. And what's the second thing they're going to play? In which case you can obviously sometimes sneak through the better thing first mm-hmm. and the worst thing second 
you know, just having sat in both seats helps you make those decisions or calculations a little better. Like how many players like untapping, you know, just a couple of their lands. They want to untap all their lands because they used all their mana efficiently. Uh, so kind of forcing them to be like, do I make the value choice and spend this mana that's just going to go away now? Or uh, do I pass this up? Maybe let this scary Hydra hang around uh, for the next big crazy Eldrazi that's going to come. Right. Okay. Uh, we've got more decks that we think that you should build at least once in your commander career coming up. But before we get into all that, quick break to hear a message from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right, we're back. We're talking about the decks that you should build at least once, that everyone should build at least once, sorry. Um, We're on to number four here, which is, you know, (laughs) going to be one of my favorites, probably my favorite on the whole list. Yeah, this one is definitely a Josh Lee Kwai topic, and it's pure value. Everyone should build a pure value deck (laughs) at least 50 times. Why did we say once? It should be more than once. No one can accuse you of not putting value into every deck. (laughs) Uh, So the lesson here is free stuff is good. 
Uh, it's an important lesson. <laughs> I think everyone can agree with that. Uh, free stuff is good. Uh, but in magic, uh, the way that that relates is uh, get advantage from actions you were going to take anyway. Right. So the deck that you should build here is Tatiova Benthic Druid because she takes advantage of something that is just built into the game. So uh, she's three green blue. And whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you gain one life and draw a card. So you're going to play lands. That's Land just fall. a thing that's going to happen. It, it says it without saying it. Whenever a land enters the battlefield, you get incidental life gain, which is always a nice little bonus. But drawing a card makes you unstoppable. Like, or at least it makes you feel unstoppable. It makes me feel unstoppable <laughs> is what I should say. Uh, because, yeah, uh, something that you were going to do anyway gets you a free card and it's stapled to your commander. Uh, it's cash money. So Yeah, I think these type of decks are great for teaching proper sequencing because mm-hmm. um, when you draw the card matters because the card itself that you draw can change your plans and so that knowledge you know if you sequence improperly or not improperly but how you might in another deck which is like go to attacks attack then play my land and my second main and blah blah in Tatiova you might want to play your land in your first main draw the card see what it is that might change your plans about your attacks and everything uh, so that's a big thing and then in general decks like this just teach you about how to keep track of your triggers also because they're going to be generally a lot of triggers in decks like this yeah because you're not just going to have Tatiova you're going to have you know, things that put extra lands into play and other things that say, oh, when lands hit the battlefield. I bet everybody's kind of going through that right now with their play group because of Zenikar Rising. Landfall decks Landfall is everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah. Like everyone's playing, all right, this, that, the third. Here's 10 lands by turn three. What's the last game you played? I mean, I can't even remember one in the last couple of months where there wasn't one landfall deck or at least partial landfall deck in the pot. Like it seems like every game there's there's one. I, yeah, it's definitely been before Zenikar Rising came out. It's been a long time uh, since you've had to worry about, like, um, you know, a question recently that we saw was, uh, how do you interact with landfall decks? Yeah. And so if you can't beat them, join, join them. them. <laughs> <laughs> with some incidental life gain and some card draw. I think one thing about value decks and decks like Tatiova, and I think anybody who's built this deck or Yarok or Tulane yeah. or a lot of these decks that's just like, most of what you're trying to do is take advantage of that card draw part. Yeah. They'll run into this situation. So the value uh, in in Tatiova and decks like this is very obvious. But what's not as obvious is how you turn that into victory, right? So it's a quintessential thing I think that's important to learn about any deck, um, but more, more important even with value-based strategies, which is, yeah, you can spin your wheels a lot, but how does that make you win, <laughs> Yeah, this this is like one of the key things between intermediate and becoming an advanced player is, all right, uh, now I can make this machine. I'm really talented at making this thing that spins its wheels. But I'm drawing tons of cards, putting tons of lands into play. What do I even do with it? Yeah. Like, I've got this Alela deck that just fills up the board, but, you know, swinging out with flyers doesn't always work for you. Right. You know, so just uh, spinning your wheels doesn't do much. How can we turn that into a winning strategy? Yeah, so so building this deck and then playing it and then realizing like, oh, I got to figure out how it wins and then building that into the deck is a really good lesson uh, that you can take to all your deck building. But yeah. anytime you build a value-based strategy, it's definitely like high in your mind. Every time I build a deck, literally every time, no matter what kind of deck it is, I go through this process of like, okay, I cover all my bases for the ramp and card draw categories, single target removal, board wipes. Here's the main strategy of the deck. Here's what it's going to do. How does it win? What's a realistic scenario that's going to work most of the time for how it wins. And a lot of times, even beyond like combat. Yeah. 
And uh, this is kind of like a sub-lesson that we're discovering here is uh, you need to begin with the end in mind. Like, if you're going to make a crazy value town deck, uh, what are you going to do with it that's going to eventually end the game? Because no one really wants to watch you do that for 20 turns either. Maybe we need to alter the lesson. So it now says free stuff is good, but how does it win? That's pretty good. There you go. Okay. (laughs) That's good. I'm sure a graphic appeared with the added words there. So that's the true lesson of value (laughs) decks on the fly. All right. The the next uh, deck that everyone should build at least once is a little bit of a cheat. It's it's an either or because I think these two um, archetypes or strategies are very similar to what they teach you. So it's either a token deck or a counters deck, a plus one, plus one counters deck probably. Um And the lesson from building one of these decks is how to maximize and maintain your board. So um, if you want to build a token deck, we suggest Reese the Redeemed, which is a one hybrid Celestia, so either a green or a white mana for a legendary 1-1 elf warrior. You can pay two and a hybrid Celestia and tap Reese to create a 1-1 green and white elf warrior creature token. Or you can pay four and two hybrid Celestia and tap Reese, so six mana total. And then for each creature token you control create a token that's a copy of that creature so it doubles your tokens right um reese is just a very bread and butter token commander in bread and butter token colors both of these are definitely on the greatest hits list yeah uh the next one is one of the greatest hits lists of all commanders not just (laughs) for plus one plus one counters um this is obviously reese was if you're building tokens and this one is if you're building counters so, uh, tracks of Praetor's Voice, uh, green, white, blue, black, flying, vigilance, death touch, lifelink, already pretty good, but at the beginning of your end step, proliferate. Uh, so, you're going to pick any number of counters on whatever. On any number of permanents. Uh, right. Or players. So, it can be your opponents, yourself. In fact, you can give yourself a little bit of energy, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and then you can add one more of those with proliferate. Obviously, uh, synergizes with plus one, plus one counters because if you have three creatures with a plus one, plus one counter or, or more than one on them, you'll add one more of each of those counters onto it. Uh, and also, Atraxas just in good colors for plus one, plus one counters. Yeah. Usually, Abzan are the colors we think of the most for plus one, plus one counters. Um, so while these stra- two strategies, tokens and counters, are not the exact same maybe on the surface, the archetypes have a lot of similarities. Both styles of decks want to use their strategy, be that I've created a bunch of expendable creatures or I've cr- put a bunch of tokens onto the, my creatures to make them bigger. They sort of want to use those things as currency. Mm-hmm. So years ago now, it might be like our one of our first 10 episodes, we had our friend Matt on the show talking about a token deck that he built. And he said that a big breakthrough he had was the understanding that the tokens were like currency that he could then, he needed to put cards in his deck that allowed you to exchange that currency for things. Yeah. So the tokens he didn't think of necessarily as creatures, even though they were like one ones or whatever. He did think of them like, hey, I can attack with them, but I also want to put in an altar so that sometimes I can cash in those tokens for mana or I want to put in, you know, whatever that allows me to use these tokens in different ways. A goblin bombardment. So sometimes I can toss the tokens and turn them into direct damage at stuff or things like that. So like having a lot of currency is nothing if you can't turn it into something and filter it into something that actually gets you closer to a win. Yeah. So that's an interesting thing. I think that's the, that's similar between the two uh, strategies. But hey, I didn't throw my first one. Oh, we get to throw the first one too. Yeah. Here, watch this. Everyone was very, very impressed. impressed. Very impressive. If you were watching the video, you were really <laughs> impressed. Um, 
And then both of these strategies, tokens and counters, they usually need to balance the main plan, which is either create a lot of creatures or make all my creatures big, with a sort of a secondary need. So with tokens, you got to create a lot of creatures. And then generally, you need to pump all those creatures because they're not good enough to have just 10 one ones. It doesn't do a lot. So you yeah. need to, so, so you got to balance the pump effects with the token creation effects. And then with counters, plus one counters decks, you need cards that put counters on creatures, but you need creatures to have out on the battlefield to receive the counters. So there's that tug and pull, that balance between uh, in the deck building that I think is important. Yeah, you can definitely feel that resource management and the slider in the middle of your deck of this does this and makes this and this cashes in on it. You can feel when it's off because you're sitting there really wishing that I had this other thing. And, uh, you know, the thing about Reese especially is it's in the command zone. So what percentage of my deck does that actually cover? Right. Is that 20% of my deck? Or, uh, but whereas Atraxa, it just improves this thing that you're already doing. So, But if you have no counters on anything, Matraxa doesn't help you at all. It does nothing. So, uh, yeah. I think we've... And that's a good thing about deck building and to, a good thing to learn, which is this this idea that, like, yeah, my deck has a plan, but if I, have, if I just draw this part of the deck and not the other, what does my deck do? With token decks, if you only draw the pump effects and nothing that makes the tokens, that's really bad. Yeah. If you only draw the token effects and not the pump effects, that's bad, but not as bad. So you tend to err on the side of more token creators than pump pumping token token pumpers, whatever that's called. <laughs> uh, so, so learning that, I think, is a really important step in deck building. Yeah, so that's a, a good way to learn some balance. Uh, uh, yeah, you had a really interesting point at the end of this, which I liked, which is that both of these archetypes have a lot of support uh, there's a lot of cards that make tokens and a lot of cards that care about plus one plus one counters for me when i built my one one counter deck this blew my mind like because i'm so used to building something like i don't know i'll build a brutaclad i'll build an enchantress or something right. like that where you have these defined set of tools that you know it's a set list that everyone's used to picking from and you put your little spin on it with one one counters there are 1443 cards on gatherer right now that just say the words plus one plus one counter that's not counting like uh doubling season doubling season or winding like constrictor that. that also care about yeah. counters yeah there are so many stinking cards that you can put into this 99 that only the a plus bangers are going to make it into the list and you're going to leave cards on the sideboard that uh are good. They're good. Yeah. They're great cards. And you might be wrong, too. They're, when making decks like this, because there's so many options for cards that could go in, you're never quite certain about those last, like, five yeah. to, to, to seven cards where you're like, eh, I don't know, that card could be better than this card, but you have to make calls. And that's and you have to building. eyeball yeah. that curve, too. Mm -hmm. What defines a four drop? Because... Uh, Creatures with plus one, plus one counters get trample. Cards like that How at important four. Is that? Yeah. Like, that's kind of a little bit too expensive for that effect because we've got better options now. So uh, picking common strategies like that is uh, crazy as a deck builder. It really helps you out. Yeah, I think it teaches you uh, how to cut cards, how to evaluate yes. those last few cards, how to figure out... or And, and even if you're wrong, how to make choices because I think in, it's intimidating to build decks for a lot of people. And so just being in a situation where like, listen, I got to cut this down to 99. And you hear me saying it and Jake saying it, like even when I... I built, uh, you know hundreds of decks because um, we have to build, you know, multiple per month now because right. of game nights and extra turns and everything. We're building decks all the time. And 
even I at the end am not a hundred percent certain about my choices. It's always like those last few cards. It's kind of coin flip whether this one's better or that one's better. And 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 in the end, a lot of times I'm just like, okay, I'm just gonna go with this because my gut says that, but I don't actually know if that's correct. I'm gonna play it a couple times. Maybe I'll switch in one of those other cards. Sometimes I find out, wow, that other card's way better than I thought it was gonna be. And then the experimenting and going through that process really helps you build the confidence that it's oh, it's okay to just make make a choice for whatever reason and try it out and then reevaluate. It's way better than just sitting there and having the paralysis of like, I don't know what to cut, so I'm just going to sit here and not choose anything. You or know what I mean? even worse, I'll cut a land. Yeah, don't, don't do, that. do that. Don't do that. <laughs> don't cut land. And I think what's interesting about what you were saying about building cards uh, or decks for camera is uh, you do have to make A-plus choices every single time. Because oh, there's a lot of pressure, right? We're about to put all this work into an episode that we're going to stare at for a month and show to all of you guys uh, so you're... Uh, potential four drops or things that might happen on turn three or something. You only get one turn three that everyone's going to see. So these A-plus cuts really matter. All right, let's go to the number six deck that we think everyone should build at least once, and it's Graveyard Recursion. There's a lot of lessons I think you can learn from Graveyard Recursion, but the big one is that some things matter more than others. Uh, What's our suggestion for what you should build as a Graveyard Recursion deck? So we suggest Sidisi Brood Tyrant. That's one black, green, blue. Uh, whenever uh, CDC enters the battlefield or attacks, you mill uh, three cards. It's Yeah, they changed it now, so now it's, it probably says mill. Yep. And then whenever one or more creature cards are put into your graveyard from your library, put a 2-2 black zombie creature token onto the battlefield. So you're going to be milling a lot in this deck. You're milling yourself, potentially creating 2-2 zombies when you do... Graveyard decks like Sidisi, Carador, Marin, there's a million, Mildrotha. Um, for one thing, they're they're pretty common. So I think building a deck like this obviously helps you understand when playing against them. Um, but graveyard decks have a lot of moving pieces. That's what I think is really interesting. And they're about balancing those pieces. So you want a certain amount of self-mill because if your graveyard doesn't have a lot of stuff in it, then you're not really a graveyard deck. But then you want the recursion, right? So I'm going to put things in my graveyard with a self-mill, but I need cards that allow me to now get the cards out of the graveyard to do stuff with them. And oftentimes, recursion, you need different types of recursion for different types of cards. Right. So DC obviously going to have, you know, be a little heavy in the creatures because you want to mill creatures to make zombies. But there's still going to be instants and sorceries and stuff that you probably, when you mill them, you want to be able to get them back. So you're going to have cards that allow you to play things with flashback or Yawgmoth's Will that allows you to play cards or, or whatever the choices that are made. But you're going to have choices that literally just give you access to those cards in your graveyard. Then there's also just the cool stuff to get back with the recursion. Right. So it's like all these three pieces and it's really easy to sort of build the deck and then be like, okay, well, I can recur anything, but all my stuff is recursion. So it does, I'm not, I'm not able to actually recur anything because, or, oh, I have a lot of cool stuff to recur, but I don't actually have any recursion. It's those balance sliders again, man. Yep. Yep. Same stuff. But the scary thing about a graveyard deck um, is there are a lot of different things going on. And a lot of these commanders say stuff like, put a 2-2 black zombie onto the battlefield. So wait, do I want to do something with those black tokens? Can I make this a zombie sub-theme? And you get distracted. Uh, But really, at its core, you got to focus on what is it your deck wants to do. Yeah, I like that. Uh, Building graveyard, especially around something like Sidisi, does force you to like 
strip away all that excess ideas that you have and really focus on the core of the deck. Because if your deck's trying to do four things, guess what? It's going to do zero things. Yes. If you're trying to do one thing, it'll probably do that. Two things, maybe. Once you get above that, it's probably you're starting to do less things, even though you think you're going to try and do more. Um, I also think going back to that idea of like graveyards are open information, right? Right. So they're seen by your opponents. Or you can see your opponent's graveyards. Everybody can see, at any time you can say like, what's in your graveyard? And they have to tell you all the stuff that's in there, right? Mm-hmm. That's a lot of information to digest. And I think for newer players or players that aren't familiar with graveyard decks, it's hard to know what's important about that information that you're getting. But if you have your own graveyard deck and you've played it a few times, you can start to understand like, okay, that dredge card's pretty important in there. Maybe that's what I want to get rid of or worry about. How scared do I have to be based on what's in their graveyard? Oh, there's this in there that can bring something back. I have to think about that. Blah, blah, blah. You can figure out because you've been in this... Again, it's kind of like the control deck. You've sat in the seat of the graveyard player. You can now sort of threat assess better, you know, because it is hard. You can be... There can be 30 cards you have to think about. Yeah, but even if uh, you see a ton of lands in there, that can say something to you. Uh, or just some innocuous type creature, because you've been in the seat, yeah, it's going to be clear to you, okay, something must be done. Uh, I don't know if I can bajookabog that person or counter whatever effect they're trying to do, but I got to do something. Or just point it out to the other players a lot too, which is like, because again, this is one of the hardest things to assess. So your knowledge about it can be helpful to the entire table. Hey, listen, this is in there, in the graveyard. If they ever get that out or whatever, this is what's going to happen because they already have this on board or whatever. You can explain how you know and people will be like, oh, so do you have any graveyard hate or can we maybe knock them out of the game or do kill that other piece so that they won't have both on the board if they happen to get that out? You can formulate a plan just by sharing your knowledge of you know what's going on in their graveyard. And the thing about being that oracle at the table, that guy who knows uh, you know, this control deck is going to do this or whatever, being that person who can say, uh, hey... Look at these other three boards. There's a plenty of dangerous stuff over there. Not over here, though. Right. Over here, it's fine. <laughs> this person's scary. Here's why. Also, that person's scary. Here's why. And you can give great reasons, too. You yeah. can sell them you know, any be, kind of reason. You won't be lying. That's true. Yeah. That's true. But meanwhile, the spotlight's off of you, and you can work in the shadows. <laughs> I like how you think, Jake. <laughs> yeah. All right. The final deck we're going to talk about that everyone needs to build at least once, uh, and this is obviously added by me at the end here, is the commander list deck. That is the deck that is not built around their commander. Um, Five-color Nekusar is one of mine, my Tim deck. There's 20,000 or more cards in Magic, and there are a lot of cool strategies, and they haven't come out with a legendary creature for all strategies yet, and probably never will. There's always going to be some fringe strategy or cool combos or synergies that you think are awesome that, you know, nobody else is even really aware of. And if you want to build a deck around that stuff, sometimes you just have to build the deck on its own and kind of have the commander be a secondary piece of that puzzle, something that you think about later that's giving you the colors you need, but not really directly synergizing. Like if I want to build a crazy deck around like a legendary artifact right. or uh, something that I'll have to go fish out, I'm not really concerned with what's in my command zone all that much. Yeah, I mean, you want something that's going to help your plan, but it usually won't be central to your plan. Most decks are built like no, like Sidisi, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to put more creatures in there because I want to get more zombies. I'm going to... Sidisi is a self-mill piece, so I know I always have access to this. Um, the lesson that you learn when building a deck that's not built around as commander is how synergy works in the 99 of your deck. Right. Because so often we can put cards in our deck and they don't really 
have to work with any of the other cards in the deck as long as they work with the commander that's fine because i know i always have access to the commander so i can always make that synergy work whereas now if the commander is suddenly something that is going to be an afterthought and not something that you're building your deck around then this card that you're about to put in your deck probably won't synergize with the commander and then it's like okay well if it synergizes with just one other card in my 99 is that good enough probably not because what are the chances i'm gonna have both those cards at any given time right so i really need that synergy to be thick i really need that synergy to be well woven because it has to like, okay, this card synergizes with these five other cards, you know, in these different ways. And those cards have to synergize. And so you have to just build that web so much tighter. There's a lot of redundancy that needs to be taken care of because, uh, you know, we always talk about uh, what happens if you don't have your commander, what happens to your plan then and having a backup plan. But what you're describing is only backup plan. Right. Uh, so that, that can help you build decks that have commanders that are important even, I think, later down the road where you're like, okay, but the way to build to beat a lot of decks, a lot of really strong decks, is just kill their commander twice. <laughs> and then their whole deck is just offline when their commander's not out. Yeah. But if you build your deck, you know, with the lessons learned from building a deck that has no not an important commander at the helm, then all of a sudden you might have a recursive piece where it's like, yeah, you killed my commander. But what's really important about my commander is that self-mill, and I have this other thing that's going to do that for me, or it's that recursion ability, and I have this other card that's going to do that for me. So the uh, commander we suggest you should build for the commanderless deck is doesn't matter. <laughs> build whatever you want. Um, it just depends on what strategy you've chosen. And I think... There's another really intimidating thing about building a commanderless deck, which is very open-ended. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what do you want to build? Build anything. Uh, it's like when you go to the restaurant and the menu is just way too much stuff. Like, it's way easier to go to In-N-Out. They only got four things. <laughs> like, I know what I'm going to order because it's only one of four things. It, it, we both worked in the restaurant industry. Yeah. So you remember going up to a table and you say, all right, you guys ready? And they say, oh, I'll just have one of everything. <laughs> well, that doesn't help us. <laughs> what do you want? This kind of thing? That kind of thing? So uh, it doesn't mean just... Do whatever, make a good stuff deck. It means pick something and commit to it in the 99. And I think the beautiful thing about that is if you've got this two ninety nine, 99, uh, now imagine if there was always one card that you would have in your hand. Right. And it synergizes perfectly with the rest of the 99. And uh, so bringing a commander into this whole thing makes it less about bouncing cards off of my commander and more about, well, what if we always have this fun guy who comes to the party and uh, makes everything just a little bit better and does what we were trying to do anyway? Right. But all the uh, but the cards are mostly about how they interact with each other rather than bounce exactly. off the one thing. Yeah, I think it really does teach you how to focus your deck, too, because you cannot try and do you know, five different things for real when your commander's not even a part of that puzzle because you just don't have a thing that you will always have access to. It really is a lot more akin to deck building in other formats too because there's no other format. All right, Brawl, Oathbreaker, but <laughs> there are no other, you know, major formats that give you access to a specific card all the time, um, which uh, is one of the things people like about Commander, obviously, is because I think it, it helps deck building. It, it, it's a hurdle that you don't have to jump over when it's like, okay, I can look at the commander. The commander basically tells me in at least broad terms the sort of cards I want to put in my deck. Mm -hmm. If you take that away, that does scare a lot of people. But I think once you get down the list and you're a pretty intermediate deck builder, it's a good idea to try and do it because it will still teach you a lot of things about deck building um, to just have that open-endedness and how you deal with it. Yeah. Um, all right. Oh, I did want to say something about commander list decks. So... You, they're unique. You can do something cool that maybe nobody else has done. Word to the wise, though, here, warning, fair warning, not all strategies will work, <laughs> right? Like, just 
I've tried a lot of decks with that are quote unquote commander list where like I'm gonna build around this strategy. There's no commander for it. I'm just gonna use this one because it's got the colors. And then you play the deck a few times. You're like, yeah, that strategy doesn't work. The stop hitting yourself deck is a <laughs> famous one I talk about a lot on the show. There's some pieces, but there's just not enough pieces yet for that right. deck to really work. There's not enough synergy. And even if you put in enough tutors and other things, it just one good exile effect and the whole thing falls apart and it's like okay so we're i'm just waiting you know a few more years maybe they print enough cards that they, we hit critical mass on the effects that you need uh, redundancy for and maybe i'll try it again but just be be aware like it's fine it's not necessarily your f- failure as a deck builder some of these commanderless ideas just won't necessarily work or at least won't work to a degree where that deck is is realistically going to win games you know at, at an average table yeah i mean th- there are tables where stuff like that can still exist right. like uh thanksgiving play with the family who barely plays yeah you, know, you can bring in pre-cons yeah you can bring in the wacky stop hitting then yourself the stuff. stop hitting yourself deck could feel broken though <laughs> you know because they don't know what's going on they don't have removal and then you put together some combo yeah it's seven cards to get there which any normal table would just like uh i kill that artifact but they don't and then it's like well you could do that that's not fair so that just like outlines the negative space in threat assessment because those people you know they only visit magic from time to time right right okay okay all right that's gonna do it for the decks we think you should build at least once in your commander career um to the listeners what decks have you built out there that are different than the ones we listed here that you thought made you a better deck builder uh would love to see in the comments on twitter we're always looking for you know maybe we do another episode a follow-up episode to this in the future so getting some ideas from y'all out there definitely helps um make sure if you want to build any of these decks that we've just suggested that you Get all your cards at cardkingdom.com slash command zone. Use our affiliate link when you order your magic products, singles, anything at all. You really are supporting our content, game nights, extra turns, this podcast, the round table. We got so much stuff coming up. We got a lot of shows. Yeah, we got so much stuff coming up out now. And a lot of people have noticed. And and a lot of that is due to the fact that people do support us and support our sponsors. So um, we really appreciate that. You're going to buy magic cards anyway. Just cardkingdom.com slash command zone when you do. It's easy peasy. Uh, And then when you get those cards, Make sure that you do what Jake and I both do, which is take them and directly put them into Ultra Pro products to protect them as quickly as possible. Pro Gloss Eclipse Sleeves, Satin Towers. I love my Satin Towers. Like those new finishes, the pearlescent ones. Oh, the pearl one is beautiful. The rainbow ones. It, I, you know I had to put my Opalescence Enchantress deck in the pearl one. Yeah. My five-color Jota in the rainbow one. <laughs> That's just how Jake rolls. Well, and, and the great thing is they're sharp looking, especially the new colors. But also, they're just so sturdy and solid. Just by picking them up, you can feel it. That like you feel really good taking your decks anywhere in those things. They're they're not nothing's gonna gonna happen to them. They're not gonna get damaged. Right. Uh, all right. Now it's time for the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic. Jake, do you have something cool? Yes. All right. Okay. So I'm way into music and I've had this synthesizer that's 40 years old. Uh, It's been mine for the last 10 years and I finally fixed it up. But uh, so what I want to talk about is soldering. (laughs) So (laughs) now I thought this was going. (laughs) This is not like, yeah. Wait, wait. So it was broken, the synthesizer. So it wasn't just, it wasn't broken or anything. It was just dusty. And whenever you move the sliders, it like made some white noise and stuff. Yeah. It was just old. It was dusty. So I uh, desoldered all of the stuff on it uh, from the board, cleaned it out, put it back together. 
uh, then realized what I had done wrong, so I took it apart again, then put it back together again and got it right. Uh, How did you learn what you were doing? Is it like oh, it's you- crazy easy. YouTube videos or something? Or? No, not even. So uh, I learned a lot of things by just jumping in and saying, well, I could probably do that. Uh, so I've had this soldering kit that we got on Amazon for 20 bucks three years ago. I should have thrown it away a long time ago. No, you shouldn't have, evidently. But, yeah. yeah, clearly. Uh, I just pulled it out on a rainy day, and it's been my pandemic project is sitting around uh over the last two months a few saturdays i'll pull out the synth do some work put him back and uh so yeah now i feel like i am a uh saint of electronics repair saint of electronics. <laughs> wait wait so tell us the end of the story you you soldered it all how's the synth doing now it's it's perfect uh yeah. so the only thing that doesn't work is the volume knob which i couldn't man- manage to take care of but all of the other like 18 sliders that are on it are perfect. And I just cleaned it with alcohol and a Q-tip. But I would encourage anyone buy that cheap kit on Amazon because, you know, I was looking on eBay at this exact synth because it was, you know, from my high school band. Yeah. Okay. And these things are from 1981. So you can't get it for less than $1,000. Oh, wow. So your yeah. $20 kit was $20 basically $1,000? Basically saved me a thousand dollars, and now I'm looking into how to repair some plastic stuff. So uh, I just encourage anyone: like, if you are about to throw away electronics, say to yourself, "No, I can do this." It's interesting because we kind of learn. I don't know where we learn this from, or or we're taught like, if your electronics is busted, it's just way easier <laughs> and cheaper to buy a new one than it is to try and fix it. Right, because I grew up uh, taking apart VCRs and uh, taking the backs off remotes and unscrewing the remotes. Yeah. And, always ruining things <laughs> so yeah my mom, but your parents uh, were real happy with that my mom hated it because uh, <laughs> i was very good at taking things apart but not putting it back together <laughs> yeah then i got good at putting it back together and now i can actually fix it because when i was repairing the synth too i had scraped one of the contacts on the board so i was like crap well now the whole thing's dead wait a second i can do this uh and you know i took some wire and fixed the contacts and even wow. the, as i was breaking it i was able to pick up the pieces and fix it and power over electronics makes me feel like a wizard. All right. So nobody out there feel bad if your electronics break. You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. Just a $20 soldering kit on Amazon. Yeah. Next up is an old stereo. Going to replace the tape mechanism. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, before we go, big thanks to our editing, graphics, and logistics team, which is Craig Blanchett, Ashlyn Rose, Lady Danger, Manson Lung, Alfred Estaca, Josh Murphy, Jake Boss, Yo. Patrick Non, and Sam Waldo. Jake, where can everybody find you on the social medias and whatnot if they want to go give you a follow and learn about soldering? Well, if you want to check out uh, some stuff with my synth, see how it sounds and all that stuff, uh, you can find me at JakeBossMTG on Twitter. I also have a YouTube, YouTube channel, JakeBossMTG, where you can find my old show, MTG Tonight. Uh, it was a Tonight Show about Magic the Gathering with live music and guests, and we kind of yeah, really turned the deck tech on its head. It was a fun time in life, but now I get to make the best content in the world <laughs> on we, Game Night. I'm sorry for the MTG Tonight fans. We, uh, yeah, we, we needed his help on Game Night, so he doesn't have time to do that right now. Maybe, yeah. re- maybe you can resurrect it someday. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> that show was really hard. We'll to just do. bring you back on the podcast <laughs> when you get the need to like. There you go. Talk about magic to the public. All right, uh, and big thanks to Jeffrey Palmer for the living card animation animations that begin uh, the show and sit behind us. Uh, yeah, Cabal. What is this? Cabal Stronghold. Cabal Stronghold. Jeffrey did this one as well, so you can find Jeffrey at Living Cards MTG. All right, Jake. Thanks for the help. Thank thanks you for, for having me. Up. Yeah, and uh, thanks everybody out there for watching. We'll see you next time. Peace.
Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs>